Hello Sonoma, welcome back. My guest today is Kathy Witkowicki, founder and director emeritus of the Sonoma Valley Mentoring Alliance and of the Sonoma Speaker Series. She's done so much in our community and I can't wait to hear more about it. Let's get started. Hello Sonoma, welcome. I'm here with my guest, Kathy Witkowicki. Kathy is the founder and director emeritus of the Sonoma Valley Mentoring Alliance. You're the president and CEO of the Sonoma Speaker Series, which you co-founded in 2016. You're a mother of four and a mentor for two. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. After serving as director of the Mentoring Alliance for almost 20 years, in 2015, you said you would just sort of unwind, maybe do a little traveling. Did you end up doing any of that? I did a little traveling. Yes, we went to New Zealand and that was great. We went to Cabo. We did a little traveling. But... I realized I need more purpose in my life than just travel. And I need something to talk about. I need good stories. I need to be involved in my community. So I started the Sonoma Speaker Series and uh, it's all had a great, had a, has, is having a great run to tell you the truth. We're really having wonderful speakers come to this valley and people are buying tickets and they're selling out. So. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Tell us about what the, I, I know that it's a, sort of a fundraiser, isn't it? Well, it's not exactly a fundraiser because I raise funds simply to pay for the speakers and their travel and their expenses while they're here. But I am a nonprofit. The Sonoma Speaker Series is a nonprofit organization and therefore donations, of course, are tax deductible. But mainly speakers are a lot of money. I cannot believe what they get paid to come and speak in really anywhere, I'm sure. And so in order to afford those that I think would be really compelling, sometimes I do have to do some fundraising or in order to just cover their speaker fees and their travel costs, which ground travel alone is crazy amount of money. Well, I'm so glad that you're bringing, you're bringing so much value to the Sonoma Valley community. But speaking of travel, your journey has been a bit of an odyssey. The word mentor comes from a literature of ancient Greece. In Homer's epic, The Odyssey, Odysseus was away fighting and journeying for 20 years. During that time, his son, uh, who was left as a child, grew up under the supervision of mentor, an old and trusted friend. Today, we use the word mentor for anyone who is a positive guiding influence in another usually younger person's life. Who were some of the people you looked up to when you were young? Well, that's an interesting question because once I started the mentoring program, I started to get asked that a lot. And I looked back on my life and I started to think about the people that were in my life who really reached out and helped me more than they ever needed to. And one of the first people that comes to mind was my neighbor and her name was Pat Leary. And she was a young mom with three little children and she lived next door to me. And uh, at the time, my mom was very sick and she was going through lots of, she had five major brain operations in 10 years. And my house was always very quiet, very dark, very scary. And I never knew what I was gonna find when I got home. And yet my neighbor's house was full of light and laughter and fun. And I didn't care if I went over there and folded her laundry. I was just happy to be out of my house in some place where there wasn't a lot of, you know, like fear. And uh, it turns out my mom survived all those brain surgeries. 
and many, many years of seizures and just uh, lots and lots and lots of medication. She didn't die until she was 92, but that was all happening when she was in her 40s and I was just a little girl. And so for me, Pat Leary took me on vacations with them. She had me come over and babysit even while she was home. We baked cookies. We, it was just a safe, supportive environment. And she was someone I could talk to and share. And she was in my life all those years when I was growing up. And yet I never thought of the word mentor when I thought of her. I just thought of neighbor and friend. And I look back now and I wish I could contact her. But I tried many times because there's about a million Pat Learys that live in the United States and not quite sure which one is her, but I'd love to be able to go back and tell her that thank you for all you did for me when I was growing up. Because looking back on it now, I realize how powerful that was for me to have a trusted, caring adult that lived right next door and opened her doors whenever I needed it. Wow, that's a powerful story. Something that not everybody gets to have and something that you're lucky to recognize now as an influential part of your life. Mm-hmm. This is in New Jersey, right? This was in New Jersey, Dumont, New Jersey. Yep. Where I grew up. Tell us about where you grew up. Well, it's a little town, little in the way that maybe Sonoma is little, not a whole lot of people. You could walk from one end of it to the other, you know, one high school, and one or two grammar schools. I think it was, to me, looking back on it now, it's definitely a real blue collar town. My dad was a blue collar worker and he worked about three jobs when I was little. He worked in a plastics factory during the day as a foreman. He worked in the afternoon and umpired and refereed sports. And he worked at, in the evening at a gas station. And, you know, this was all growing, trying to raise five kids and keep food on the table and do all the things that we wanted to do and take care of my mom at the same time. So he, you know, he, he was an extraordinary guy who did his best. And I think that little town is representative of the kind of people my dad was as well. So they had a house there for 60, 70 years. And, um, lived in that house until basically they died. And uh, yeah, I, I love little Dumont. I didn't know anything different until I moved away. And then of course, moving to California was whoo, way different. And uh, I'm really glad I'm out here. <laughs> well, it sounds like you kept many of those lessons that you learned early on and you brought them here to Sonoma and Sonoma Valley, which you came to in 1979. But for those who don't know, the Mentoring Alliance mission is to build long-term mentor relationships between youth and caring adults. Since its founding in 1996, the nonprofit has paired more than 2,000 kids and adults for a lifelong impact and become a ubiquitous symbol of hope and community building with efforts to replicate it across the country. But in 1996, things started out a little differently. Can you tell us about those early days? Yeah. So uh, in the early days, I was a volunteer at Flowery Elementary School. I had four children, three of them had already gone through Flowery. One of them was, you know, or two of them were there at the time, actually. My younger two daughters were at Flowery at the time and my boys were in middle school. And I was going through a divorce 
And I was thinking that I probably should go back to working full-time as a nurse, which was my background. I'm an RN. But I also thought, hmm, I really need to be around for my children right now. And I need to be on vacation when they're on vacation. And I need to be off on the holidays that they're off. And that wasn't going to be happening if I went back into nursing. So I started as a resource coordinator for Flowery School. And a very philanthropic gentleman in town named Niels Chu was very forward thinking. And he saw that Flowery School at that time in the heart of Boys Hot Springs was struggling. It was a neighborhood school at the time. And the folks that were going to that school were very many of them were coming from Mexico. They were two and three families sharing two bedroom apartments in Boys Springs. And that was the, the school of, that their children were attending. So when other schools in the area were doing fundraisers and selling wrapping paper at Christmas, and bringing in $10,000 for their PTA or their PTO, PTO, parent teacher organization, you know, Flowery would do 10 fundraisers a year and bring in $8,000. So Niels Chu hired me and said, why don't you go to school, go to work there for four hours a day. I'll put you on my payroll out at Dowling Magnets out on 8th Street East, which he owned, and just be a resource coordinator for that school. So that was how the Mentoring Alliance got started, because one of the things that I did was I worked alongside the principal, Sandy Zimmerman, and wrote a grant to bring a mentoring program to Flowery. At the time, that program was all about academics. It was coming from the Department of Education for the state of California, and it was a three-year grant that we ended up getting, and it was to help children read better. And we called it Project Libros. But after a nanosecond, I realized the children who were being nominated for a reading partner or a reading mentor needed so much more than reading help. You know, their backgrounds and their lives were just once you found out how they lived, where they lived, who they lived with, you realized reading was just a small piece of what they really needed. And so... After that grant was over, I changed the whole program and I made it be more about mentoring in life and not just mentoring for academics and uh, formed a nonprofit corporation, changed the name of it to the Sonoma Valley Mentoring Alliance and called the program Stand By Me. And that was the beginning of the mentoring program. We started it at one school I worked out of my car for the first year. We really had no building because Flowery School was growing so fast and we were plopping portables up all over the playground to accommodate the number of neighborhood children that were moving in. And turns out that all of a sudden other schools wanted it. And we had a bunch of fifth graders who were gonna go on to middle school and they had a mentor now for three years. And they were saying, well, are our mentors coming with us? You know, are our mentors coming with us to middle school? And I was like, whoa, haven't thought about that. And yes, they are. So then we had to move the program and expand, wrote more grants and started fundraising. And all of a sudden we became a program that's at every school with a freestanding mentor center at every public school in Sonoma. 
with the exception of the two charter schools. But we do mentor at the charter schools. They happen to have space for us already on the campus. But at all the other schools, we raise the funds to bring portable buildings onto the campus, hire people to oversee the matches at those sites. And that's where the program is today. It's uh, serving all kids in Sonoma Valley Unified from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. And in many cases beyond, because if you are a mentor and you are matched with a child when they're in second or third grade, and you've been with them through 12th grade, there's no way that you're leaving their life just because they graduate high school. My mentee right now, Jackie, who is my first mentee, is 24 years old. She'll be graduating from Sac State in June. She'll be getting married in September. I'm her matron of honor. She will be in my life forever. And that's how that story goes. So I think that's the case for many of the mentors who fall in love with these kids that they are matched with and they're in their lives forever. You can't put a price tag on that. That's pretty special. No, you can't. And I'm glad that you highlighted that at the beginning, it was a much more scrappy organization than what we see today, you know, with billboards and things around the plaza. You were working out of your car. You had very limited resources to create what I imagine was a big vision. What kept you going in those early years? I think what kept me going is the stories of the relationships and the kids and the fact that every kid at Flowery School wanted a mentor. I mean, it was so popular that I would go out to the playground at lunchtime and and be bombarded with children saying, you know, my friend has a mentor. Can I have a mentor? Can I get a mentor? It was something that everybody wanted and not everybody needed, but everybody wanted. And that's a great thing because in the beginning, you worry a little bit that it's going to stigmatize children and perhaps they're going to feel like they're in this club they don't want to be in because it means that something's wrong. When actually everyone in this world can use as many mentors in their life as they can get and find and keep. So the way I formed the program early on was that it was pretty darn popular to get a mentor and very cool. And we made those mentor centers that we finally were able to bring onto each campus kind of like a big rec center where there's just lots of fun things to do. There's, you know, pool tables, foosball tables, air hockey tables, there's games, there's science experiments. You can build a rocket and blow up a volcano and you can play every board game known to man. And it's a little bit of a way to just build relationship in a really fun place. You're on campus, so you're not out in someone's car that you don't know yet. You're not feeling scared because you've got that person who works there overseeing your relationship. And parents started requesting mentors for their children. Lots of moms requesting guys to mentor their boys because they were fatherless or you know didn't have any male role models in their lives. Lots of grandparents raising kids again needed extra help. It was just a situation where you saw so much of a need that it kept you going because there was so much more of a need that we hadn't even met yet. And so as I started to hear the stories and I started to see the reactions and I started to watch the relationships build and I started to feel like 
So with something very special and beautiful going on in this community that doesn't happen everywhere, that was the impetus to just keep on keeping on and grow it. And the other reason was because schools were coming to me and saying, how can we fundraise and get this program here? I mean, Presswood School did a whole jogathon and raised $5,000 to get it started. And, you know, once we got it started, then we were able to help build it and fund it by people that lived in the Presswood district. So that's, it's just, that's just happened. And, um, and it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. <laughs> it grew. Uh, well, that's reassuring. In, yeah, it, 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 it kind of took on a life of its own and just kept on growing and blew me away as well because when we started it I had really no idea that it would venture off of Flowery's campus and when it did I was thrilled that now it's a district-wide program and it's also a model for a lot of other schools. Petaluma started their mentor program based on our mentor program. I went over and, and met with them at McNear School and talked about it with the superintendent and the teachers and some of the parents and the PTO. And uh, that program is now thriving, as well as just going to Washington, D.C. every year and putting on workshops at the National Mentoring Summit in Washington, D.C. to show how we're doing it here in little Sonoma Valley. And we're a model for how other people could do it in their communities. We're going to have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with Kathy Witkowicki on Hello Sonoma. Hello Sonoma, welcome back. We're talking with Kathy Witkowicki about the impact the Sonoma Valley Mentoring Alliance has had in Sonoma and beyond. That's pretty special to have an impact on a local scale and on a nationwide scale. Since those early days, you've won numerous awards for your work, including the Classic Woman Award. The award is given annually to women who best represent the American spirit in caring and giving by making a difference in their community through volunteer efforts. You've also won the Jefferson Award for Public Service, which is considered the Nobel Prize for Public and Community Service, and the Jewel of a Woman Award from the Girl Scouts of Northern California, given to women selected for outstanding service in their community and for being excellent role models for young girls. But perhaps the most meaningful award may be when when you asked one of your high school mentee graduates, what do you want to be when you grow up? They responded, I want to be you. What is it like to be the role model that the program strives to create? Well, it's hard to think of myself as all of that, to tell you the truth. <clears throat> I am very honored and obviously very moved that people recognize my work, and I think the effort that went into it, but it never felt like work to me. It always just felt like a calling. And I think that <clears throat> being a role model, there's a lot of us out there that are role models. Really, all you need to do is just sort of like live a good life and pay attention to people that need it and do what you can. And that's sort of been the way I was raised, the way I grew up. And I think it's just the way that, I don't know, the way that good people are. So I think many people are role models to many young people. We don't even realize it. We don't even know that that's what they're thinking. We're just 
being good, caring individuals. So I never really consider all those awards were amazing and wonderful and special. And I felt very proud, but I wasn't working for awards. I was working for children and working for community and working in many ways for me because I was in a very self-satisfying job. And a lot of people go to work every day and wish they weren't. And I went to work every day and loved what I did. So I consider myself one of the lucky ones that I found a job and a role in my community that was very, very different from my nursing career, but in some ways, saving lives in a different way. And I'm not going to say I was responsible for saving those lives, but a lot of these mentors are responsible for saving some lives. And the stories go on and on and on, and they're all different. They're all, in some ways, very beautiful stories, but in other ways, very tragic stories of children that have a lot of adversity in their life. And it's amazing and wonderful that we can put somebody into that life that helps them navigate that really tragic path that they might have otherwise gone down a different path. Yeah, I'm the lucky one. Well, I'm really glad you brought up your nursing experience because similar to nursing, where you have to do all kinds of different jobs, as the leader of the Mentoring Alliance, you did everything. If a floor needed to be swept, you swept it. You would never ask anybody, according to some of your colleagues, to do something that you weren't willing to do, whether that even be dressing up like a hoopla girl for the f- fundraiser that you would <laughs> hold for the Alliance and getting things done. What was that like to play, to have all those different hats within the organization you helped create? You know, I never even thought about it. To me, I'm just the type of person that I would never ask somebody to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do. And if you really are going to be role modeling, that's the way to show people how to be. Tina Baldry, who I know you might have spoken to, she she worked with me, obviously, for so many years and became one of my absolutely best friends through that time. And the two of us would laugh. We would compare ourselves to Lucy and Ethel on uh, the I Love Lucy show, because when the event was over, we would be the last two people still there, making sure that we left the venue in the way that we found it. We were very mindful of just making sure that we weren't the first ones out the door. We were always the last ones out the door. And it was so fun to do everything I did with Tina because she's such a great worker and such a fun friend that, again, the two of us just had such a great time over the 20 years I worked with her that, you know, it was just, again, never felt like work, always felt like fun and always just felt like, you know, so much to talk about, so much happening, so many things going on at all times. One thing we were never is bored. <laughs> I can imagine. You have been a mentor to two girls and you've raised four kids of your own. I'm curious if there, what the differences may be between being a mentor and being a parent and how those roles may interact sometimes. Well, sometimes they cross over and sometimes you do feel like you're parenting. But in the beginning, when you are first starting out with your mentee, you want to make sure that you're not trying to parent them. You want to make sure that you've got a role that's very different from parenting. 
because in many cases they already have a parent or a grandparent in their life and that's that's that person's job and you don't want to come in and you know push them out of the way you want to make sure you respect that you're not the parent so you can be the fun person and you can be the person that opens doors to new opportunities that perhaps the parent can't but you also want to make sure that there's respect for you in the relationship you want to make sure that you know you're teaching manners if manners is something that these children aren't aware of and in some cases that is the case that no one has taught them how to say please or thank you you're doing a little bit of obviously a little bit of i don't want to say parenting but teaching along the way um mentoring good behavior and you have expectations because you wouldn't be in a relationship with anyone without some expectations so I don't like to say we parent these kids because I think we just really mentor them, guide them, teach them, steer them in the right direction, open doors to opportunities and you know, show them that you are a trusted friend, you're going to be there no matter what. And that's one of the things that I think is so important is because a lot of the children that are in the program do not have a lot of trust and faith in a lot of adults. And in the beginning, they try and push you away and they try and test you to see, are you really here or are you leaving? Because there's a lot of abandonment in their little lives. And we really don't want to be one more person who abandons them. It's kind of interesting in the beginning, the ask for a mentor was for a year. We would ask them to be in this child's life for one school year. And I realized that one school year is a lot of time. And then what? They leave? I mean, that's one more person that's walked out. So <laughs> I, when I changed the program, I made it a three-year commitment for mentoring. And people were like, three years? You want me to volunteer for three years? I can't commit to a marriage for three years. And I was like, hey, listen, if it's working, you're never going to leave. And if it's not working, we would never make people stay together for three years. So just, it's a serious commitment and we just want people who are serious. We don't want people who are passing through because these children don't need more abandonment. So that's one of the things I learned. But as far as parenting my own kids, I thought it was a great thing to role model that what you do is you help others along the way. So my children now have grown up with me having mentees in our life. And my mentee, Jackie, comes and spends Christmas with us every year. And, you know, my kids have grown to love her and know her. And, you know, she and she and I are, like I say, we'll be in our, each other's lives forever. And my daughters are good friends with her now. And we take her out as a family. And, you know, she's just part of our lives and will be. And she's part of their lives. And that's what I think is so great. One of the mentees wrote about the program that to the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. It sounds like just like just what you're saying, that it's a commitment, but you're really being a huge figure in someone's life. Can you think of some of the unexpected impacts you've been a part of when you hear that phrase? Hmm. The big question. I think some of the impacts that I've been a part of is the fact that a child has 
a new adult who is standing by them. They're not standing behind them and pushing them. They're not standing in front of them and doing it for them. They're standing by them and they're encouraging them to do it for themselves. And I have seen children over these years that have responded so well to having this person help them and they are thriving because of it. And I don't know if they'd be thriving without it, but they're definitely thriving with it. And there's just been stories over times where people have come back at our alumni meetings and these kids have talked about what it had meant for them to have this mentor in their life and where they are now because of it. And that's pretty heartwarming to hear. And I just think that my role in that is just growing the program and sticking with it and knowing that it's a new nonprofit early on. There's a lot of nonprofits in this community. Fundraising is a competitive sport in Sonoma Valley. And would we get the support we needed to keep this program going? And how are we gonna do that? And how are we gonna make it meaningful, not just for the kids and the mentors, but for the donors to support us and keep us growing? And somehow or another, I think that we did make that happen. We're continuing to make that happen. Susie Gallo is at the helm of the Mentoring Alliance right now, and she's wonderful. And she is doing a great job just keeping the program growing. And I just love that my, I don't know, that, that I'm, I'm still a part of it, even though I've retired. And even though I've moved on and I have another nonprofit now, I mean, I'm still a director emeritus. I'm on the board. I mentor Susie because she lets me. And it's just the best thing to just know that this is my legacy and I'm still able to be a part of it. And I love it. And I'm still mentoring. I mentor Angie now and she is in sixth grade. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's great. And I'll always be a mentor as long as they'll have me because I think it's so important to have a child in my life. And I think it's so important to continue to offer what I have to offer to somebody who needs it. And so... Yeah, they're never going to get rid of me. <laughs> well, one of your mentees, Jackie, said about your relationship that from day one, it's been all about trust. How did you build that trust and what does it mean to you to be trusted? Well, I think trust is the foundation for any relationship. I, I think trust and respect is something that is a necessity when it comes to <clears throat> it's almost more important than love because you can't love someone if you don't trust them and respect them. And, you know, Jackie and I had our moments, of course, uh, going through middle school and going through high school is challenging. But I think the fact that she had a lot of abandonment in her life and I knew her situation and her story very well. And I kept on reassuring her that no matter what, I wasn't going anywhere and that I would be there. And she would just know that whether she, you know, tried to push me away or not, which sometimes there were those opportunities and times where I felt like she was like just dissing me. But I also knew that that's also growing up and becoming independent. And part of that whole 
middle school and high school era is about establishing that independence and pushing those adults out of your way so you can do it yourself. But I watched us just grow and get stronger and stronger and stronger as she got more and more mature. And when it came to college, you know, I was right there by her side and we went and visited schools and got her into college, which was something else that I don't think that she thought she would do. And now I couldn't be more proud of her and I couldn't be, I couldn't love her anymore. She's an amazing, beautiful young woman who surprises me every day with how great she has turned out. And, you know, I, I, her grandma died this past year and her grandma was very instrumental in raising her. And I just wish her grandma could have been around to see her graduate college and to see her get married this year. Unfortunately, she isn't, but I will be there for her. That's so special to be a part of someone's life in this new way that you get to know their family, see their futures, and help guide them. We're going to have to take another quick break, but we'll be right back on Hello Sonoma. Hello, Sonoma. Welcome back. We're talking with Kathy Witkowicki, founder and director emeritus of the Sonoma Valley Mentoring Alliance. Throughout your time at the Mentoring Alliance, you've been famous for saying, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. I like that phrase a lot because it encourages you to uh, expand your boundaries and to, to just go for it, even if you're not sure what the results will be. Where has this phrase surprised you in your life uh, and in your in the different chapters that you've lived so far? You know, that phrase, I learned that phrase when I went to a fundraising <clears throat> meeting with a woman who had written a book on fundraising in Santa Rosa. And she had said something along those lines. And it resonated with me so much because I thought to myself, I have nothing to lose by asking. And I've always been a bit humble. So asking for things has always been a bit difficult, but I had to realize that I'm not asking for me. I'm asking on behalf of children and a program that can't ask for themselves. So when I took myself out of the equation and I realized that if I don't ask, somebody else is gonna get it. I got bold and I just realized, you know what? If you don't ask them, there's no opportunity for them to say yes to you. So just go ahead and ask. And early on, after I created this nonprofit, again, having never been a nonprofit executive director in my life, I ran into a couple of funders. Both of them were very wealthy gentlemen, very philanthropic. And I remember this one gentleman and his wife came to meet me at the Flowery Mentor Center, and they had heard about the work I was doing, and we sat down, and again, this is way back and very early on, and I said, uh, they said, well, what, what do you need from us? And I said, well, I'm, and I almost choked asking for this much money because back then, I guess, it was very new to me, and I said, well, I would like to ask you for a donation of $25,000. Wow. And the gentleman said, is that going to cover what you need? And I said, well, no. And he said, well, what would cover what you need? And I said, well, 75,000 would cover it. And he said, then ask me for that. And I was like, 
choking because I never asked for that much money from anyone in my life. And I was like, okay, then I'm asking for 75,000. And he wrote me a check. And I was like, okay, that is a huge lesson right there because it worked. And so now I went forward from that experience asking for what I needed. Instead of saying, maybe you could just give us this little amount. Instead, I said, here's what we need. And if you can make that happen or anything close to that happen, I'll be forever grateful. And I realized people have a lot more resources than I think they have. And they're often a lot more willing to give it to someone that they trust is going to use it in the way that you say you're going to use it. And I think I built that trusting relationship over all those years with my donors because I donors take a lot of care and you need to stay in touch with them. You need to make sure that you keep them in the loop. You need to make sure that they feel appreciated. And you also need to make sure that you're not just reaching out to them when you want to check and you reach out to them lots of times in between to just tell them how their money is working. And uh, I think that's why we were able to grow and expand and be successful. It's so funny how we can set limitations for ourselves, isn't it? And how by just by asking, you can create a whole new world of opportunity. I'm sure you've used this phrase a few times in your new role as the CEO of the Sonoma Speaker Series. Your former guests include Congress people, mayors, survivors of abduction and drug abuse, gang intervention advocates, professors, and basketball coaches. What has it been like to bring these incredible people to Sonoma? It's been exciting. I have to say, I really am enjoying the anticipation of who might be next. It's a little bit like fundraising when you're going out after speakers because you're not sure who you're going to get. Like with fundraising, you're not sure how much you're going to get. Well, with going out after speakers, you know, I'm not sure what door is going to open and who's going to say yes. And so it's a lot of work because it's a lot of requests that you send out there and they don't all come back. And a lot of them come back as a no. And a lot of them come back as way too expensive. But every once in a while, you get somebody that says yes, and very exciting. And I'm very proud and pleased and excited to bring some of these, you know, people in such high stature to our little community. A lot of times when people go to speaker series, they go to a venue that's got 2000 seats and they're watching the speaker on a screen. So it's almost not like being there, right? It's like you're just in a big, huge venue where you know, you can barely see the guy on the stage. I do our speaker events at Hanna Center in the auditorium. We seat about 325 to 350 people max. You are right in the auditorium with the speaker. There's opportunity for Q&A with the audience after the interview is over. It's a very intimate setting and there's a VIP party beforehand for those who are interested with the speaker where you get an opportunity to have an actual meet and greet and a photo. So people are loving it because they're getting a chance to shake hands and, you know, have Steve Kerr sign their basketball and things that don't happen in a very large 
speaker uh, series venue. And so I think that you never know who you're going to get because because of my connections with the Mentoring Alliance and all of those large donors over the years, those people know people. And so now I'm reaching out to them, not for money, but for connections. And a lot of those connections is how I'm getting some of these amazing people to come to our little Sonoma Valley because they're doing it for a friend who lives here, wow. who they know will appreciate the fact that they're coming and, and, and giving some time. And then I have a lot of wonderful sponsors. The Fairmont is one of my, is my lodging sponsor, which is great. You know, I have wineries that sponsor it every single month or every six weeks that we do it. I have caterers who sponsor the, the VIP reception food. I have, you know, florists who sponsor the arrangements there. I have photographer who sponsors all that. It's amazing. And people just stepped up because of my relationships that I built over the years with the Mentoring Alliance. Most of the volunteers that work so, it are from the Mentoring Alliance. So for those who don't know, less than a year after you retired from almost two decades at the Mentoring Alliance, you co-founded the Sonoma Speaker Series in 2016. And the organization aims to bring to the Valley major thinkers and players in the world of politics, art, celebrity, sports, science, and inspiration. It's a wonderful opportunity, as you mentioned, to be able to hear big thinkers come to our little valley to share their ideas and thoughts. How has listening to and learning about these incredible people shaped the way you see the world? Well, I think I pretty much see the world as a pretty wonderful place to be. I also see that there are a lot of places in the world that are not wonderful and not fun and a lot of pretty harsh things are going on. And in some cases, those speakers are also coming to speak about different things that are happening in different places in this world, like human slavery is still going on in Ghana. And Lisa Christine, who is a internationally renowned photographer, will be coming and speaking about that in April. It's not a very fun topic, but it is a very important topic for those of us who want to know what is happening in the world and how can we help. You know, abduction survivor J.C. Dugard, again, a tough topic to talk about and a tough situation that she lived through. But the fact that she's a survivor of that situation gives a lot of people a lot of hope who are trying to survive things that are way less serious and critical than what she had to survive. So again, it's it's just some of these people come and they they talk about how they got to where they are, and it gives you a lot of hope that anything is possible. And some of these people come and speak about what's still happening, and it gives you a lot of enlightenment and visibility about how you might make an effort to change something somewhere that is going on that shouldn't still be going on. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. um, all topics, we try and keep it very diverse. So you bring up something great, which is that we never really know where our lessons in life are going to take us and where we'll learn something that will apply in something else. Uh, before all of this, you mentioned that you are an ER nurse and you got your training in New Jersey. Nurses are known for their listening, for their care, and for their ability to make suffering patients feel and be better. 
What are some lessons from your nursing career that you still keep with you today? I think that you already mentioned the listening part, which is critical. And I think that doctors perhaps don't always take the time to listen, but the nurses are the ones who are the listeners and the nurses are the ones who are conveying a lot of what's going on to the doctors, especially when you work in an emergency room setting. The doctors are in and out, in and out, in and out, moving from patient to patient. The nurses are the ones that are spending the time with the patients. And I worked in the ER. I also worked on a medical surgical floor. I worked at a, you know, an ICU unit for a bit. And I did private duty. So I've done a gamut of different kinds of nursing. And I have to say the ER is probably my favorite because I never was bored. The day flew by. And the good news is you got to see the patient for the most part get the help they needed right away, you know, and, and, and move on. But I also feel like nursing is a type of profession that isn't for everyone. And I think you have to have the patience for it. And I think you also have to have the heart for it. And you have to be understanding because these people are in for the most part, suffering from something. And so it taught me a lot of patience. I didn't always come to it with the patients. I learned it as I was there. And I think that that helped me carry over in life. And it helped me carry over with being a thoughtful person who cared about people. Um, because I realized there's a lot of people that need a lot of thought and a lot of care. And so going from nursing and into mentoring was sort of just a a natural flow. It, it, I didn't feel like there was a big hiccup there. I felt like I was pretty prepared. Throughout everything you've done, there's kind of this ripple effect, even taking care of patients. When you're taking care of one person, you're really taking care of a lot of people around them. When you're taking care of uh, a mentee, you're taking care of the, the community. And when you're bringing in a speaker, you never know who's going to be inspired to do the next big thing. As you reflect back on your incredible career and your odyssey, as we mentioned, at the beginning, what do you think about this ripple effect that you've helped start and where do you hope that it can go? Well, I hope that the Mentoring Alliance thrives and becomes just similar to the Boys and Girls Club, similar to the Vintage House, similar to organizations that are part of the fabric of this community. I want the Mentoring Alliance to be continue to uh, be a part of the fabric of this community. One of the things that the Sonoma Valley is really proud of is that we are a community of caring people who give. Don't just give money, but we give time and we give uh, our heart. And I think that's a really important thing for a community when you live in it to be that kind of caring community. As far as the speaker series is concerned, I want it to thrive and go on forever as well. I want it to I wanted to become something that I can look back on, just like mentoring and say, wow, I started that and look where it's gone. Look where it's at today. Because, you know, we have the means and we have the, the, the desire to have this kind of a event in our community, in our town. That's why it's selling out. Almost every event is a sellout. And so 
people say, oh, you should move it to Santa Rosa or move it to, you know, someplace like in Marin where there's bigger venues and you could get more people. And I said, that's really not what I'm trying to do with it. I'm trying to make it a, have it be a real community event here in Sonoma Valley for this community. I have no desire to spread it and make it bigger because if it's not broken, don't fix it. It's working right here the way it is. So my goal and my hope and my vision for all of these nonprofits, or at least for the two that I started, is that they continue to just flourish and be a part of the fabric of Sonoma Valley going forward. And I can just look back someday in real retirement and know that I left a mark and it's something I can be very proud of. Well, I'll finish this interview with a, a quote from a speech that your friend Tina gave in 2010 when you won your Jewel of a Woman Award. And it says, as a resident of Sonoma Valley, I thank you. As a mentor, I'm truly grateful for you. And as your program director, I deeply value and appreciate you. It's pretty special to have someone you work with honor you in that way. And uh, I'm honored to be here with you for to hear some of your story and some of the amazing ways you've helped shape our valley. So thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight. You know, the only other thing that I might say is that I never do anything alone and I don't want to take credit for everything. I had a, an amazing team of people around me when I was doing the Mentoring Alliance. I have an amazing board of directors right now as I'm doing the speaker series. I have an amazing group of volunteers who work with me day in and day out and, and, and help make these things happen. And that's what it's about. It's just about all the people that you surround yourself with that help you to keep on keeping on. And I couldn't do it without the mentors. I couldn't do it without the support of the teaching staff. Couldn't do it without, you know, the, the donors. I mean, it's just, it's, it's everything that we do is a collective community effort. And I'm just part of that effort. So I know I've gotten some wonderful accolades and some wonderful awards and, and maybe it's because I'm running them, these nonprofits, but no one runs a nonprofit without a team and those teams are what keeps you afloat. So I think that's, I just like to leave it with that because I'm fortunate to surround myself with amazing people. Thank you, I think you're right. Well, you're amazing too, Kathy. Oh, thank you. And to all you out there listening, you're amazing too. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with Kathy Witkowicki. I certainly learned a lot and I hope you did too. Though we've reached the end of this episode, remember, it's not goodbye, it's hello Sonoma.